This is Radiance Tape Number JD43A, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, The Reality of War. Blessed Heavenly Father, now as we open your word, we're asking you to do something, Father, that our brother Paul prayed for us so long ago. No, Father, that's a valid prayer because you put it in your word and you handed it down to us. Pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would be able to behold your truth. These things which Satan would desire to blind our minds to, as he would desire to blind our minds to all of your truth, all of your wisdom, your revelation, your knowledge, your understanding, which you desire to give to your people. And we know he would snatch it away from us if he could. Father, that which we have already bound, we now reassert that he has no ability to blind the minds of anyone here, and all those who desire to hear will hear. And those who do not desire to hear, Father, by the Spirit of the living God, stir them up to that place to realize the danger that they are in and cause them to hear. Now, Father, we see your word before us as open, and the minds and the hearts of your people as open, and your anointing resting upon this place. Spirit of the living God, let Jesus be exalted. Grant this, Father. Grant this. Pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to be talking tonight. Last Sunday, you remember, I spoke on a subject, spiritual victory. This, I'm going to begin talking on the subject, spiritual warfare. They are one and the same, because the realm is the same. Now, what I'm going to open up in the Word of God, you're going to have to listen to carefully. I have bound, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every spirit contrary to the truth. But you must not allow yourself to be moved by some things that I'll reveal tonight, lest your mind be taken up with this, that, and the other thing, and you miss what is said. In the event you do, we're taping this, Get the message and hear it again. Look up the scriptures until God opens your eyes as to what the Word of God is saying about this particular subject. All right. First of all, I want to talk about the word warfare. Now, warfare, the Old Testament, the Bible says, was given to us as an illustration book. There are things in it that no longer apply to us. They simply have no meaning for our day and time. But there are parts of it, and they certainly include the illustrations where God dealt with people, he dealt with nations, the prophecies concern us, because in them are revelations of God's dealing with men, not only that which is to come, but he makes statements in there that reveal the spiritual nature of the warfare that we're in. And the word I want to use is warfare. Now, God let his people in the Old Testament led them into warfare. You must forget all of your concepts and ideas and so-called ideas about, well, I'm a humanitarian, I don't believe in war, and I'm this and the other thing. Lay those aside and look at the Word of God. Now, Satan has no 
better trick in his arsenal of tricks, that's all it is, than to get something stirred up in you that you hear a person say, or you hear a scripture read, and immediately you say, well, what I've always believed is, and you go off on a little personal trip about what you believe. Instead of saying, what does God's word say? There are many things that I've come to God with in past times, believing. This is what I believe, Lord. I've always believed this way. I've been taught to think this way. And God has revealed to me that his purpose is to retrain the things that I believe until I believe what he believes. Now, therefore, it does no good, as a matter of fact, it's a total hindrance for me to approach God telling him what I believe. Unless, number one, I'm perfectly willing to abandon it when he reveals to me the truth. And secondly, when I hear the word of God being read, I must pay attention to it, listen to the man of God, then later on take the word of God home, search the scriptures, and see for sure that the man of God himself did not make a mistake, which can happen on occasion. can happen. But if you now listen, you will not go wrong, because you can always take the word of God home, open it up, and say, what does God's word say? So the first point I want to bring to you, in the Old Testament, God not only condoned warfare, in other words, the arming of his people Israel, he told them to take their instruments of warfare. One example, for instance, when they were rebuilding the wall that had been broken down by the warfare of Nebuchadnezzar when he came against them 70 years before, now they were rebuilding the wall under Nehemiah's guidance, and the interesting part of the scripture is that they were told to build literally with one hand, while they held in the other hand their weapon of warfare. They were told at whatever moment they heard a bugle sound, wherever they were, they were to drop the work that they were doing, take their instrument of warfare and resort to the sound of the bugle to repel an attack. Not only this, in the sense of defense, were they given to warfare, but they were specifically told by God at times to invade or go against some heathen nation, and they were told to destroy them utterly. Now, whatever our ideas may be, they're to be abandoned at this point to listen carefully to what God's Word has to say. For the Bible says these are illustrations on a natural plane, to be sure, but illustrations about our spiritual warfare that all of us are engaged in, whether we know it or not. Now, for whatever it's worth to us, let us press this illustration a little bit further, and I'll read you some scriptures that indicate the nature of this warfare and the fact of its existence. Number one, the Israelites, from the time of their birth, you see, they had a natural birth. You have a spiritual birth. When they were born into their nation, they were Israelitish babes. When you are born into the spiritual kingdom, you are a Christian babe, a babe in Christ. 
same parallel. As they grew up being instructed in the Scriptures, you are to grow up being instructed in the Scriptures. As their mothers and fathers fed them the natural milk, the Bible says as newborn babes, you are to desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. When they got to a certain age, they began to see the soldiers, the warriors, who went forth to battle. They were aware that they did not go forth to battle, that certain men did not go forth to battle, that the women, the girls, did not go forth to battle in the normal course of events. Once in a while, it happened that way. And they began to see that there were some men who would put on heavy armor, who would march off the battle. Sometimes they did not come back. They understood that they were slain in the battle. They lost their lives. If a man lost his sword in the battle, he was in a dangerous position. If he did not know how to use his sword, just the fact that he was an Israelite did not keep him from losing his life. If he lost his shield, he was in a very dangerous position indeed. His armor could be penetrated. If he turned his back and ran, there was no protection that any king gave to a man for his back, except another brother. Now the same illustration holds in the spiritual realm. We are in a warfare. When we're born into the kingdom, we're to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Shortly thereafter, by the grace of God, if we're receiving the right kind of feeding and the right kind of teaching and the right kind of spirit, we will grow rapidly to where we need more solid food and finally the meat of the word. Now Paul told, however, certain Christians, he said, when for the time that you ought to be teachers, you have need of someone to teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He told us to not lay again the foundations of these first principles, but to know them, understand them, be able to exercise them and then leave them behind. Not forget them, but leave them behind instead of continually going over and over and over and over again the same ground. But I can tell you in the nature of spiritual warfare, if Satan can get you to do it, he'll get you to dwell forever on the subject of repentance from dead works or to dwell forever on the subject of the laying on of hands, or to dwell forever on the subject of baptisms. Is there one? Is there two? Is there three? Let us go on, the Bible says, unto perfection, and this we will do if God permit. When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again, which be the first principle of the oracles of God. Paul spoke in one place. He said, I have many things to say about Christ and hard to be understood, seeing ye are dull of understanding. 
A year ago I could not say them, Paul's words, neither a year ago you were not able to bear them, neither yet are ye now able to bear them. So we see that there is a growing in Christ. There is the absorption of God's holy knowledge into our experience, into our spirit, and that in turn is changed into living experience in our lives. It is God's intention to grow us up to the place. And hear this now. There were times in Israel's history where their women were taken, where their children were taken, where their children were slaughtered and their women were slaughtered and their men were slaughtered. Because the warriors could not defend themselves adequately against the onslaught of the enemy. By the same token, I tell you that there have been children of the living God that have been crippled and maimed and kidnapped and slaughtered because the warriors could not adequately defend the people of God against the enemy. Now, by the grace of God, when we finish with this message and the series that will follow and the teachings which are to come, may the warriors be strong. May they know how to wear the armor. May they wear it well. And may they fight like men of God. Strong meat, the Bible says, belongs to them that are of full age, but those that are unskillful in the Word of God have need of milk. Strong meat, the Bible says, are for those who by reason of use have their consciences exercised to discern, that is, to make a division between, to see clearly between good and evil. Now we're talking about warfare. Every one of you, babes in Christ, their being in the Lord Jesus Christ, neither male nor female, there is a relationship of the man and the woman in which there is a male-female relationship. And the Lord God in the Word of God states what that relationship should be. The man should rule the woman in submission, but both of them loving and trusting and upholding one another. The children under that authority. He gives us a relationship in the church of women's place and men's place. But in the warfare, there is neither male nor female, even as there is neither male nor female with the Lord. But we are one in Christ Jesus. Now, there is no such thing in the natural warfare. A person could say, I am a woman. I should not go to war. I am a babe. I should not go to war. But I tell you before God that every one of you, whether you've been saved one day, one year, three years, or 50 years, are destined by God to enter into the warfare, to put on the whole armor of God, and to go out and to meet this deadly enemy. Now, turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I'm going to begin at 3. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, he was in a living human body, we do not war after the flesh. Now, that's a comparison scripture, the one I'm going to read later, that our warfare is not against what? Flesh and blood. Now, say it. 
flesh and blood. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Nor must it be waged in the flesh. The use of our intellect is useless in this warfare. The force and the power of our soul is useless in this warfare. The practices of the psychic or the occult are worse than useless. They open you up to the actual attack of the enemy and in most cases to the ultimate possession of the devil himself. Do not get into these areas. Reserve that for those who are ignorant and blind and foolish. And maybe someday God will give you the privilege of delivering them from their delusions and giving them the truth. Our own human spirits are useless in this warfare. They are no match for the powers, the principalities, the master spirits, the despotisms that rule in this realm that I'm talking about, with whom we have to do. Now, I have to do in a primary sense with a spiritual realm that is the realm of light, and that's my relationship to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to dwell in me, and everyone who believes upon the Lord and has received him unto life, who obeys him and walks in that truth, we deal in that realm. But there is a realm in which we are engaged in a warfare. I am in no war with God. I've heard some Christians say I'm battling with God all the time. Brother, sister, I suggest to you that at all odds you stop battling with the Lord. You're on the wrong side. The devil is battling against the Lord. Give up that battle. Get on God's side completely and join in the warfare against the real enemy. God is not the enemy. God is the Savior of all men, especially them that believe. Now, there is a warfare, though. So Paul here speaking says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Paul himself, speaking in another place, said words like these. Though we knew him, speaking of Jesus, though we knew him after the flesh, yet know we him no more after the flesh. He's talking about having gotten away from, which most people still have in their minds, the Jesus of Galilee. There's a place to minister about that, to show that he went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil. But many people are enamored with the fleshly Jesus of Galilee. They love to picture in their own minds him walking on the shore of Galilee, of him being by the river Jordan and seeing him in that way. Now, there's a place for it to minister on a rudimentary level at this point. But the Bible tells us, though we knew him after the flesh, yet know we him no more after the flesh. God is trying to turn our eyes from the merely human level to the level of who and what Jesus really is. The eternal, magnificent Son of God. The one who upholds all things by the word of his power and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our attention is to be turned to this spiritual battleground. Now Paul goes on to say, 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now look at that fourth verse again. The weapons of our what? Warfare are not carnal. What does the word carnal mean? Fleshy, fleshly, natural. You think money can build the kingdom of God? It's only a tool, but it's never a weapon. Political influence, you might have some. It's only a tool, but it can never be a weapon. You can lose your money in a moment. You can lose your political influence in a moment. But the man who knows how to take hold of the promises of God and the truth of God and knows how to put on the whole armor of God can never lose those weapons unless he yields up control of them. No one can take it away from him. No one. Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now, according to the Word of God, the highest thing, the highest creation that has exalted himself against the knowledge of God is who? It is Satan himself. And he is constantly attempting to get all the people of the world, all of the creation that God has made, both saints and sinners and angels and cherubs, all of them to take on his same attitude and to get us to exalt ourselves against the knowledge of God. He's constantly feeding us with lies, constantly twisting us off, constantly trying to get us to act contrary to God's principles. We must not be ignorant of his devices. Paul said to his church of that day, we are not ignorant of his devices. 1 Timothy 1.18 once again, I'll read it the 17th verse, but it would do you well to mark these scriptures down and go over them later. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest by them. Now, it simply means that at his ordination or some other time in his life, hands were laid upon him for whatever reason, and mighty prophecies came forth describing what God would use him for, perhaps describing some gifts that God had given to him, because he was told at one place to stir up the gift that is within you. In other words, satanic operation upon him, working on him, talking to him, got him at some point, no doubt, to just kind of back off. Happened to me many times. Say, man, I'm tired of the warfare, tired of the hassle, tired of the struggle. And Paul said to him, son Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you. Now he said in this particular thing, verse 18, this charge I committed of thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Warfare, just in the same way that those children of Israel, those men of God of old went out in natural warfare, we are to go out in mortal combat 
against a far deadlier enemy than they ever faced. Because you cannot see this enemy except by faith. You cannot hear this enemy except by faith. You cannot conquer this enemy except by faith. It has nothing to do in the natural realm. You cannot see, hear, taste, touch. Any of your senses, none of your senses can tell you about this enemy. He can be standing next to you. He can be attacking you full force. And unless you know the teaching of this book, unless you have yielded yourself to the teaching of God's Word, unless you have allowed yourself to yield to the Spirit, you will not know you are being attacked until you're in some real troubled position. But if you walk in the faith that is in God, He will signal to you that the enemy is near and cause you to engage the enemy in combat. And the Bible tells us that if we resist the enemy, resist the devil, what is true? He will flee from us. See, the outcome is certain if you know what to do. And I tell you, by the grace of God, the outcome is almost as certain if you don't know what to do. You'll be defeated. You'll be twisted off. You'll be blown out. You'll be upset. But if you know what to do, there's another word. You'll be victorious. Hallelujah. Another scripture. Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Ever had a picture that in heaven all was peaceful all the time? God's heaven is just a sanctuary and all is quiet and people around playing harps, music, no problems. There has been a time, and no doubt there will be a time when it is yet to be fulfilled, that I tell you, whatever hosts, and they are great in number, that Satan has, are to be in a warfare to the death with Michael and his angels, Michael the archangel, those that are absolutely loyal to God and they're limitless. But there is to be one last mad clash in which the Bible says that Satan and his angels prevailed not and they were cast down to the earth. Not only is this a warfare in which we are engaged. Paul tells us to wage war. Paul tells us we're in a warfare against not human opponents. I'll read that a little bit later. But not only are we engaged in this warfare, but God's angels are engaged in this warfare. In the book of Daniel, the 10th chapter, I believe it is, Daniel sought the face of God to know us answer to a certain thing that was troubling him. And he gave up eating. He began to do what the Bible calls fasting and praying. And he prayed to God for one day and no answer. Two, three, four, five, two weeks, three weeks, 21 days. And there appeared to him at the end of 21 days of fasting and prayer, the angel Gabriel, the messenger angel, and said, O oh man, greatly beloved. Now Daniel was in warfare. He could have got up after the first day and said, well, I didn't get an answer from God, and that's all there is to it. I think I'll do something else. 
but he understood warfare. It's like a soldier going out to battle and say, well, I'm ready to fight the enemy for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or a half an hour, but any more than that, then I wanted to call the battle off. But brother, in warfare, you don't call the battle off. One side wins and one side loses. One man lives and one man dies. And so God had a rule in the Old Testament, and it was this, that before any battle, the leader, the general, the ruler of that battle, whoever it was, would say to the people, the men of Israel, if any of you are afraid, if you tremble at that enemy, go home. And they had the right, I don't know what happened after the battle was over, but they had the right to get out of the army and say, that's for me, I'm afraid. And they got out of there because God understood that when the battle got going hot and heavy, brother, what you need on the right hand and the left hand and in front of you and in back of you is men who know how to war and can stay till it's all over one way or the other. And the Bible talks about us putting on the whole armor of God. You've read the scripture, but I'm emphasizing many times tonight. Put on the whole armor of God, warfare, and to stand against the enemy. And it says, having done all to stand, stand. It's talking about we may be fought in some particular battle, fought so hard at some time, that we literally, instead of making an advance, are literally forced to a standstill. But there's nothing in the Word of God that talks about the man of God retreating. The Bible said you may be fought to a standstill sometime, but when it's done and you're fought to that standstill, brace your feet, take hold of the sword of the Spirit, take hold of the shield of faith, hold on to them tight, and stand, stand, stand. Now we're talking about warfare. You want to see the supernatural? I want to see the supernatural. You want to see us invade the kingdom of darkness? Brother, that isn't done by talking about it. It's done by doing it. And it's a hazardous occupation if you're unskilled in the use of God's Word. Warfare. Revelation 13, 7. Some of Satan's operation. And it was given unto him, Satan's agent on the earth, which the Bible calls in one place the Antichrist, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. I have no time to go into the prophecies and how they relate to the church, except to say that at one point it was given unto this Horrible thing called the Antichrist, doesn't really refer to the church, but I'm showing you the warfare, to make war on the saints. War on the saints. And to overcome them. Sounds to me like this is pretty serious business. Let me give you another scripture. Revelation 19, 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now there's one question I want to ask you tonight. Against whom is the devil 
really directing his warfare. It's against Jesus Christ himself. Now, if he will boldly attack our Lord, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, if he will attack in the idea of upsetting the throne, the very throne of God himself, brother, sister, don't think that you and I are going to escape this warfare. Now, if I know that I'm going to be thrust into war, And by the grace of God, Spirit of the living God, give me direction and motivation enough to learn how to use the instruments of warfare. That when that evil day comes, and the Bible calls it the evil day, when that evil day comes, you may be able to stand. You're getting ready. We're going to Europe. We're going to the Orient. We're going to invade the East Coast. You're going to go all over the earth preaching the gospel. Well, I say to you by the grace of God that some of those kingdoms, some of those nations, some of those places have for years been in the throes of spiritual darkness. They're ruled over by master forces. And those forces are going to have to be unseated by those who know how to use the Word of God and the sword of God and the shield of faith and the armor of God. They are not going to simply stand aside and yield up what they have held for a thousand years or two thousand years. They're going to have to be broken and hurled back by those who know how to make war. War there. 2 Timothy 2.4 tells us an interesting thing here. We're going to go back to verse 1, 2, 1 through 4. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, what are some of these things? He reminds him. Thou, therefore, endure hardness. Hardness. Oh, conditions are tough at the ranch. Conditions are hard where I live in Eureka. Conditions are hard at the mill where I work. Conditions are hard at the place where I work. Thou therefore endure what? Hardness. Now the Greek brings out the word hardship. Hardship. When I went in the Navy in World War II, I thought I was a pretty tough cookie. Good size, fairly well-developed muscles, used to boxing, wrestling, kicking, running, combat-type sports. Now that's where it is. When I came to the Navy... Thought I was going to go through with flying colors. Bill, they got me in training to fight for my life. And I'm going to tell you my muscles ache, my back ache, my head ache. They ran me till my lungs were so burning from lack of oxygen. It wasn't a lack of oxygen. I was gulping it in, but it just didn't go far enough. That's all. When my heart pounded, my knees became weak. I was a real runner. I tell you, they taught me how to run, how to fall. One day we got out in front of each other and our CPO, Chief Petty Officer in charge of physical, 
he said what you're to do is you're to stand within two or three, I forget what it was, but plenty close. Put your arms out. That's how he did it. And he said, now put your arms out till your hands are resting on the other person's cheek. We did this. Right there. You can touch each other right. Now he said, haul up and start slapping each other as hard as you can. Oh, we're friends here. He said, I'm telling you to start slapping each other as hard as you can. And one guy getting the message, he hauled off and wham! Oh! See, so wham, you know. And here, pow, 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 pow. Oh, brutality! Brother, when you get out there with the enemy, he's not going to come up and say, well, <laughs> kind of a polite little battle here, and uh, we're just a few minutes, we're going to be engaged in some kind of combat sport here, and I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to take my sword out and go plunk like this, and then you take yours out and you go plunk, and then that. Oh no, no no. We're talking about when you get out there, somebody is out there to kill you, and you better know how to fight. This is natural warfare. This is what the Israelites were told. This is an illustration. The Bible says of the spiritual warfare that we're in. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We're talking about a concentration of an intensity of understanding the word, of making application to it. We deliberately have set the conditions up in our training ground to produce hardship. Oh, how cruel, cruel! I want you to still be standing on your feet when the battle's over. It's going to take men and women who are hard and who are tough. We're in a warfare. So we've taken in people that couldn't work so that those who could work had to work harder until the ones who couldn't work could work. But as soon as the ones who could work, could work, we sent out the ones who had been working so they were no longer there anymore. And the ones who couldn't work but now could work had to work twice as hard to take care of the new ones who couldn't work. Amen, Lord. Let it so be. Hardship. We don't like oatmeal. World War II, they got K-rations and mighty glad to have some of it once in a while. And if they didn't have K-rations... They told them how to survive. You ever had any survival training? I never did, but I read about it. Teach you how to eat mice, rats, bugs, snakes, roots. Brother, sister, I'm going to tell you something. When you have no beef steak, then you'll eat K-rations. And when you have no K-rations, you better be ready to chew on a root or eat a mouse or swallow a bug. Because your life depends upon it. Your life depends upon it. Why don't you turn with me to 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul is getting toward the end of his days. Why don't you look at verse 5, 7 that I, my text verse. Verse 5, but watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Endure afflictions. What did he say over in the second chapter? Endure hardship. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry 
For I am now ready to be offered. He's going to have his head cut off. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul was a warrior. A warrior. Turn with me, please. Just 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Now here are army words. Army words. Paul uses this much of the time. Watch ye. What does that refer to? What does it refer to? Watch ye. What does it refer to? Standing watch. There's an enemy about to attack. Watch ye. Stand fast. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you. Huh? Quit you like men. You remember what was said to the Philistines? They were battling with the Israelites. The Israelites had sinned. They were about ready to go into captivity. They thought they were in a warfare. Didn't know it was all over because the weapons of their warfare had departed from them. They'd forsaken the living God. They thought God was a superstitious God. And you get a kind of an amulet, a little ring you rub like this, say, oh, God, give us the victory. God is not that kind of a God. You can have your name on every church roll in America, and God doesn't hear it at all. But a broken and a contrite heart and spirit he will not despise. A man that has given himself over to the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the life of God, he will not despise. He will stand with that person. Philistines saw the Israelites go and get the ark of God. They had seen and heard of that ark before. They knew what the God of Israel could do when he was stirred up and fighting on the side of the Israelites. They began to fear and tremble. They said, never has anything been heard like this before, that God has come into the camp of the Israelites. And they were exceedingly afraid. But their leader stood up to them and said, Let us not turn our backs to the enemy. Quit you like men. Be strong. Fight this day. And they went into the battle against the Israelites. And the Israelites went into battle against the Philistines. The difference was, though, that the Israelites did not have their God with them. And the Philistines prevailed against them. And there was a great slaughter that day. A slaughter of those who had forsaken their God, but the words used to stir up the Philistines to fight were these, quit you like men, be strong. Paul says the same thing to his church, like men, hang in there till it's all over. Never give up, never turn your face to the enemy, never stop for a minute until we have hammered him into the ground. This is a warfare. This is Radiance Tape Number JD43B, recorded on April 8th, 1973. A message by Jim Durkin entitled, Spiritual Warfare, Part 2. What is Satan's prime way of doing something? I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He never wants you to know about this warfare going on. Never wants you to know about this warfare. I'll start once again at verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, 
As we have received mercy, we faint not. Now here again is another battle word. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, blinded the minds. Now notice, if you put down before them a set of figures, and for some reason or other, and this is an apt illustration, for some reason or another that person suddenly became blind, could not see, he would not be able to add up that column of figures and come up with the right answer. His eyes would have been blinded, and he simply could not do the job. The Bible says the God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. And they come up with twisted ideas. If they decide to speculate about the answer, they come up with the wrong answer. And even if by speculation they make a good guess, they're never sure of the answer because they are blinded. They can't see afar off, the Bible says. They have no ability to discern between good and evil. And so they become victims of falling into Satan's trap. And the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Not only does he blind the minds of them that believe not, that is the outright unbeliever against Jesus Christ, but he also attempts to blind the minds of God's children. There are Christians, I am not to judge them, and so I'll use that word, but I have to use it advisedly, that do not believe in the devil as an individual. They do not believe in fallen angels or any kind of angels. They do not believe in a supernatural realm at all. They would laugh and scoff at the ideas of demons. Anytime you refuse to believe God's Word, our brother Bernie spoke this morning and talked about the three kinds of authority. The first kind is we become aware of the authority of God. When we are sinners and our minds are fully blinded, we think we are the authority. And we go through life and we don't want anybody to bother us or keep us from doing our own thing. But in the grace and the mercy of God, He opens the eyes of some people. He would open the eyes of all men everywhere. But some refuse to let their eyes be opened and their minds be unclouded. Some minds are opened, however, and they look and they see the authority of God and the claims of Jesus Christ, and they submit to those claims. Those claims declare that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those claims declare that because all men have sinned, all men are lost. And if they remain in that lost condition until the day that they die, then God will have no alternative except to send them to an eternal hell. 
banished from his presence, tormented forever. There are minds who laugh and scoff at that. The God of this world has blinded their minds. The claims of God are that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoso believeth upon him should never perish but have everlasting life. He commands all men, the Bible says, though once he winked at this ignorance, he now commands all men everywhere to repent. And repent means forsake our sins, turn our backs on those things, hate the evil that we have done, and turn toward the living God and serve Him. That is the claim, that is the command, that is the demand of God. And all men whom God has opened their minds, all men who hear the Spirit of God and believe, they understand it to be true, they forsake their foolish way, and they pass into life. Those who do not hear and do not believe, their minds remain blinded and clouded until they drop off a precipice into eternity without God and without hope. Blinded by who? The God of this world, Satan. We're talking about warfare. Warfare. He causes the believers to continue acting in the sense realm. Sense realm. Things we can see, feel. Paul had the same problem in his day. He told them in Ephesians 6, which I'll read very shortly, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood. But we think it is. We talk about the church that proselytes some of our members. God forbid that we should ever do that here. A sense of fear. But that's our idea of the enemy. That may be the work of the enemy. But that thing that happened is not the enemy. And that's not our warfare. Our warfare is in the spiritual realm against forces that are unseen that would cause such ungodly actions. We get all hung up on the fact that we want to do something and some official won't let us do it. And we think our warfare is against City Hall. Our warfare is never against City Hall. Never against the governor of the state. Never against the ruler of the United States. The Bible says for those men, we are to pray for them, honor them, respect them, and uphold them. They be the powers that are ordained of God. But we get all hung up on that. He keeps Christians in the sense realm. He tells us that we really could conquer the world for Christ if we just had enough money. Money is essential in some areas, to be sure. But I tell you before God, that's not the warfare. Oh, he'll keep Christians hung up on that forever, if he can do it. Now let's look at Ephesians 6. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do you realize what he's saying? 
Brother, all of us in this church together, without Christ, would not be a match for that spiritual warfare. So he's telling us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of what? His might. Our attention is to him, Lord Jesus, your strength. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Twelve first is the text. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now I'm going to read from the Amplified, and we're going to start to identify the agents that Satan uses to get this warfare going. Then I'm going to tell you what he does in this warfare. Then by the grace of God, as soon as I've exposed him completely, I won't be able to do it all tonight. Take one or two or three or four times. I'll tell you how to exercise authority against him and begin the fight. Ephesians 6 chapter, Amplified Version. I think I'll read the 10th. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him. That strength which his might provides. Hallelujah. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, dictatorial spirits in the realm of the supernatural, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. The Bible describes the chief of these master spirits of evil, and it calls him Satan. In Isaiah 14, 12, and Ezekiel 28, 12 to 18, it describes him. It describes him as the anointed cherub. It describes him as the covering cherub, Lucifer, son of the morning. And it describes his sin and rebellion against God. It describes how he tried to usurp God's place, led against God a number of angels, talked them into the same rebellion, and God overthrew him and cast him down out of heaven and gave him no more space there. Since that time, his name is no longer Lucifer. His name is sometimes called Satan and sometimes called devil. And other names have been given to him, such as dragon, deceiver, liar, murderer, and other words which describe his character and nature. The words devil and Satan mean accuser and adversary of both God and man. He's twisted, demented, insane, but almost infinitely cunning. And he has at his disposal to carry out his evil designs 
a great company of fallen creations, angels, cherubs, seraphim, no doubt, that do his bidding. The Bible calls them despotisms, powers, master spirits that rule the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness, or as some of the versions say, demon spirits in the heavenlies. How many of these demons there are, I do not know. They are massive in number. How many of these fallen angels there are, I do not know. They're massive in number. But the Word of God tells me not how many there are, for my mind is not to be turned to this area, only to know that they are great in number. And that's why the influence of the devil is so widespread. But the Word of God tells me to get my attention on to knowing that there is a warfare, and to prepare for that warfare and to engage in that warfare, but primarily to prepare myself to know how to engage in that warfare. Now, there are certain things these spirits do not like. They do not like to be cast out of a human body. Now, I'm going to talk for a moment on demon spirits. Fallen angels do not possess human bodies except on rare occasions. Satan himself rarely ever possesses a human body. As a matter of fact, the only true incident that I know in the Bible where he actually possessed a person, and there he was just there for a short time, was Judas Iscariot himself. And when Judas Iscariot was sitting with the Lord at the Last Supper, before the Lord was to be crucified, Jesus said, Have not I chosen all of you, and one of you is the devil, and one of you will betray me this night. And one after the other began to say to the Lord, Lord, is it I? Jesus said, he who dips his hand with me in the sop, it's him. At that moment, Judas reached out and touched the sop, and I imagine he was shook, astounded. Jesus turned to him and said, that that you do, Judas, do quickly. And it says, and Satan entered into his heart. Before that time, he was on the outside. Jesus was working to stop him to do what he was getting ready to do. He warned him. He said it were better for that man that he never were born. Judas, whatever it is you're going to do, do it quickly. Judas got up and went out, and the Bible says Satan entered into his heart. And he went and betrayed the Lord of glory. It's the only known incident I know of Satan ever possessing. Angels, perhaps just as rarely, because they are not disembodied spirits, but the demons are disembodied spirits, and they are constantly looking for someone to get into. They are looking for an opening. They are looking for a weakness. They are looking for someone in whom the Spirit of God does not dwell, that they might come in and take over that person and drive them to do the wicked things that they themselves did in their old life. Now, without going too heavily into it, they are disembodied spirits from another time, another realm. They have been on the earth since Adam's time. Early cases of demon possession in the history of all nations as far back as you can go. Attempts to exercise these demon spirits. They were well understood by the Israelites, though they didn't know how to get rid of them. They had a lot of foolish ideas. And never till Jesus came were they fully revealed for what they were. And never until Jesus came was there the mighty delivering power to drive them out of tormented humanity. There are some things they do not like. I tell you, they possess men. They come into the spirit of a man. They take control of his brain if they can. In most cases, they can. They take control of his body. 
And they actually make the man do things he would not do in his right mind. Illustration that I will read later tonight is about the maniac of Gadara. When those demons possessed him, the Bible said he wandered about in the tombs, crying, whining, pleading, begging, and cutting himself with stones, destroying his body, driven, tormented by these demon spirits that were possessing him. Instead of living with his family, he lived in the tombs. He lived among the graves. They tend to possess people, deceive them into thinking they're mediums, deceive them into thinking that they're witches, deceive them into thinking that they're warlocks, deceive them into thinking that they're psychic, when all of the time the truth is that they're demon-possessed and God wants to deliver them and they need to be delivered. I tell you before God, you play around with the psychic realm and you're in extreme danger. You play around with the game of witchcraft and you're in extreme danger. You play around with Ouija boards and you're in extreme danger. This is the walking ground. This is the playground of Satan himself. And if you've been playing around with those things, you need to come before God and repent if perchance he will deliver you. And he will deliver you if you truly repent. But if you're just afraid because of the message, you ought to be afraid. But if you're just afraid and want to be delivered so you can be free again to go out and live in sin, no deal. But if you want to be delivered so you can serve God, God will set you free. They possess you. They yearn to possess you. They're not comfortable if they don't possess something. They're in torment themselves if they don't possess something. And they're constantly whispering to people, whispering to people to get them to do this and this and this and this. Drink. Keep on drinking until all your barriers are down, your spirit lays naked before these terrible forces of darkness, all of your weakness is shown, God's mercy is removed from you because you sinned, and those spirits enter in, and a man becomes a hopeless alcoholic. Only God can now help him. Drugs, another weapon of the devil designed to blast open channels in the human mind which will let you see into that spiritual realm. And not only let you see into it, but will open a channel by which Satan may come into you through his demonic powers, those entities which are disembodied, and possess your mind, possess your soul, and possess your spirit. And I tell you before God that only the Spirit of God can set you free when that takes place. Then all kinds of people come to me and said, oh, the things that I see, the nightmares that I have, the horrible visions that open up, help me. There is only one help. That help is in God. Oh, mighty God, I have sinned. I have gone against your precepts. I have not received your Son. Lord, help me. I receive Jesus. I repent. Help me, Lord. Then we can help you then we can help you. But not until that time. There's certain things they don't like. Turn with me to Luke 11:24. I think we'll read. Here Jesus is talking about Satan. Might as well get what he says here. Luke 11:14. And he, speaking about Jesus, was casting out a devil, demon, and it was dumb. In other words, it produced the condition that we would call today, he was dumb, he was not able to speak. And it came to pass when the demon, the devil, was gone out, 
The dumb man spake, and the people wondered. There was nothing wrong with his voice. His vocal cords were not cut, though someone examining him at that time would say his vocal cords are paralyzed. Maybe atrophied, dried up, he cannot speak. Or maybe they would have said somehow there's a mental block and he cannot speak. Or his mind is blinded and he cannot form the words that he thinks. That would have been the analysis. Someone would have gone further and said, we must find out something from his youth that caused this thing. Perhaps his mother said something to him or his father or he received some trauma that created this terrible condition. Jesus, understanding the spiritual realm, said what is wrong with him is he has a demon and that's what's wrong with his voice. And he went to the man and the Bible says in the name of the Father commanded that devil to come out and the devil came out and when it did the dumb man spake and the people wondered. Another place they said we've never seen it on this wise. But some of them said he casteth out demons through Beelzebub the chief of the devils. Others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he knowing their thoughts said unto him, Them every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against the house fallen. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out demons through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? They didn't cast them out at all. They left people bound up. Jesus set men free. Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed, he's talking now about the devil being the strong man armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he, and now Jesus referring to himself as a stronger one, but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. Now listen to this word, please, for those of you that are here. You must decide for yourself where you are. Jesus himself is speaking, and he said, He that is not with me is against me. Are you with Jesus? He that is not with me can judge. Say, oh, well, I'm not against Jesus. Are you with Jesus? Well, no, I'm not with him either. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you are against me. What I'm trying to point out is there is no neutral ground in this war. You're either on God's side or you're on the devil's side. You're either fighting with Jesus or you're fighting against him. If you're not with me, said Jesus, you are against me. Jesus is talking about commitment. Our brothers and sisters at the ranch and our brothers and sisters in town and our brothers and sisters wherever these messages are going have learned the meaning and the value of one word, commitment. Brother, we're in war. And there's no discharge in this war except when the Lord takes us out. That warfare. That means a 90-year-old man, if he knows the Lord, is still in the war. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Now listen to this about the unclean spirits. Demons. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. 
In other words, when he's in a man, then he's content, he's comfortable, because he's able to carry out his evil designs. He's able to have a certain amount of mobility. In a sense of the word, he's able to enter again into the world of men, the world of creation. When he's out of a man, he can only stand and put thoughts in the man's mind, try to get the man to open up or the woman or the child to open up and receive him. But he has no power over the man except to suggest things to him. But if that man listens to his suggestions, if that man opens himself up and lets that demon come in, one, two, three, four, five, up to a legion, or I don't know how many, once that demon is inside, he takes possession and control of that man. And that man will do what that demon wants him to do. And if it's to drink himself to death, then he'll drink himself to death. And if it's to drug himself to death, then he'll do that. And if it's to murder, then he'll do that. Except God intervene and set him free. And thank God, thank God, we have been set free. Hallelujah. Now our job is to set others free. Hallelujah. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return to my house whence I came out. Here's the man, that's his house. You know what the house of God is? Not this building, not any building, filled with hands. You know what the house of God is? Our bodies are the temples of the living God if we have received Jesus into our hearts. That's God's house. Hallelujah. But I'll tell you, this counterfeit devil who is trying to rob God of his glory wants your body to be his house. He wants to come in and possess it. He wants your fingers. He wants your eyes. He wants your mind. He wants your soul. He wants your senses. He wants your feeling. He wants your aspirations. He wants your ambitions. He wants you to use, to express his terrible, evil nature. And there are people on this earth that have given themselves over to the devil. How horrible. How fearful. How frightening. Our bodies are meant to be the house of God. Our bodies are meant to be filled with God. Our spirits are meant to be possessed with God. Our souls are meant to be full of Jesus. Our mind is to be full of the Word. But instead, when the devil came back, this demon, he looked at that house that he had been driven out of and was ready for an occupant, and he found it empty. Now it ought not to have been that way. That house should have been filled with Jesus. But it was not. The man received the gift of God. The raving, tormented soul, the sinful, wicked soul, was set free. But he said, that's all I want. I don't want to be filled with Jesus. See, I'm not for you, Jesus. But I'm not against you. I'm not gathering with you. But I'm... Jesus said, if you aren't with me, you are against me. If you don't gather with me, you're scattering abroad. 
There is no man that can live in sin without contaminating everything he touches with sin. Everyone he touches with sin, he scatters and destroys and tears and pulls down. And this demon spirit came back and looked at it, and it was empty. Now, it doesn't say that the demon got in there again. Oh, no. He was angry because he had been cast out. And the Bible says, He goeth and taketh seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. The Bible says, when a holy commandment of God has been delivered to a man, and he turns away from that holy commandment given unto him, it were better for him that he had never known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away from it. Seven spirits more wicked than himself. Eight in all. And the last state, the Bible says, of that man is worse than the first. See, a possession. Yearning to get in a body and control it. Last part of this, the range of Satan's activities. I have several ranges of his activities that I'm going to cover here. Just one tonight, the religious part. And I'm going to read to you what the range of his activities are. He has activities in the religious realm. I'm going to talk about that tonight. He rules in the political realm. He rules in the financial realm. Only when God intervenes is a Christian able to overcome that rule. He can do it, but otherwise Satan rules. He rules in the world system. He deceives nations into destructive and vengeful wars. He creates sickness, madness, disease. He attacks and accuses the brethren. He possesses and torments people. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. And I want to show you him acting in the religious realm. What the Bible has to say, it exposes him completely. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 20 and 21. He's talking here about idols and things sacrificed to idols. He talks about us being partakers of the one bread. He warns us of the dangers of idolatry. Then he says this. Start with the 17th verse, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Now in other words, we're talking about people who worship idols, people who sacrifice to idols, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now I want to point out something very clearly here. It says the covetous man is a what? An idolater. And it said if we partake at the altar of one of these gods, because finance is a god, covetousness is a god, I'm going to tell you who that god is. That the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to the idol is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice, now remember he's speaking about idols, they sacrifice to devils, demons, and not to God. And I would not that she should have fellowship with devils, meaning demons. 
Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Ye cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of demons. If coveting is your goal, if worldly ambition is your goal, if you are driven by an insatiable greed for status, recognition, success, I tell you, you are worshiping an idol. And Paul tells us that those idols are not just something made of wood and clay and stone. Those idols are demons. And the Bible said when you worship at their altar, you become a partaker of their cup. And the Bible says you cannot partake of the cup of the Lord and of demons. One or the other. But never both. Never both. Exodus 12.12 For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Now this is the outward judgment against those men who have given themselves over to ungodliness and against their beasts just as a sign of God's wrath upon that land. And against all the gods of Egypt, the idols of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now what did the Bible tell us that these gods really were? Are they gods? The Bible tells us they be no gods at all. There is only one God who... God the Father, Jesus whom He has sent, and His Holy Spirit. There is but one God, the only wise God, the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the rest of the gods be no gods. They are what? They are devils. Either Satan himself, or his fallen angels, or these demonic spirits, deceiving spirits, seducing spirits, which lead the whole world into hell. These are very deceptive spirits. You get out from under the protection of God, and I'll tell you, they can outsmart you at every turn. They're going to lead the whole world into Armageddon. In the book of Revelation, it tells us three unclean spirits went out to the ends of the earth to deceive the nations and to gather them together to the day of the battle of Almighty God down to the field of Hamongog, or as we commonly say in King James, to Armageddon. And they come like sheep to the slaughter, being deceived and led by these terrible spirits because, the Bible says in Second Thessalonians, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause God sent upon them strong delusion that they should believe what? A lie. Now, the King James says a lie, but the Greek says the lie. The lie. And they come in their religious fervor and their religious zeal, worshiping the Antichrist as God. Because the Bible tells us right before it in the book of Revelation, you talk about the lie. This ordinary man in whom Satan has possessed crawls upon a throne and declares to the world that he is God. 
And the Bible says the whole world wonders after him and they worship him whose ever name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. They worship him. And the Bible says for this cause God will send upon them strong delusion. What cause? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's a terribly dangerous thing to hear the truth and say, I don't want to receive that. I want to do my thing, not your thing, brother. God's thing. God's thing. He works in the religious realm. Be right in church and hear his voice if you don't know Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4.1. Let's see what he has to say about the last days. That's why I love good, strong teaching by the grace of God. I want to get back to it, expounding the word of God as much as I possibly can to this body of people. Send these tapes out as far as we can. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. What does expressly mean? What does expressly mean? To the point. Said to us, take heed. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to tell you something of tremendous importance now. Paul said, writing to Timothy, the churches he was over, the Spirit speaks expressly. He talks about 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 things, but he said, now hear me carefully on this one point. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. How horrible. Happened to them according to the true proverb that the dog has returned to his vomit again and the sow to his wallowing in the mire. Better for them never to have known the way than known the way and turned there from it. Depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils as opposed to the Holy Spirit and the true doctrine. God's Word. His Spirit. And they stopped listening to God's Spirit and stopped listening to God's Word and stopped receiving God's authority and stopped obeying God's way. Then they began to hear a voice. A voice out of hell. A voice filled with darkness and evil. A voice of a demon. A voice of a fallen angel. The voice of Satan himself. And the tragic thing is, they couldn't tell the difference anymore. And they gave heed to a seducing spirit and accepted a doctrine of a devil. Last days, this day in which we live. Give heed to seducing spirits departed from the faith, doctrines of devils, and then they turn around and speak lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from speech which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good if it be sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourish up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast to take beware. Paul says of a truth that it's better if a man can abide, that he doesn't get married, to be sure. And if a man says, I feel this is my gift, I say, Amen, brother, I encourage you in that. When a man says he has a revelation from God that men ought not to get married and commands them to not do that and commands women to not marry, then he is not preaching the doctrine of God, but the doctrine of the devil. 
causing men who have no such gift and cannot contain, women who have no such gift and cannot contain, for Jesus said, unless this gift be given a man, then he should get married. Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. And there's nothing so wonderful, if the will of God be so, than a godly woman and a godly man joined in holy matrimony. Paul said, marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers, pimps, procurers, whoremongers, and adulterers, God will judge. Doctrines of devil, that's okay. You do that. Don't eat meat. God wants you to abstain from me. To hell with such doctrines. That's where they came from, and back to hell let them go. Doctrines of devils. The Bible says every creature of God is good. You that are on a vegetarian diet, you want to be on that for your health's sake, well and good. Don't you command the other person to do the same. You that are on meat diets, don't you despise other on vegetable diets. You do what you do to yourself before God and be happy with it. But the Bible says this, don't you command a person to abstain from meat. That's a doctrine of a devil. Don't you command a person not to marry. That's a doctrine of a devil. And along with that, there are seducing spirits going about through the world today, preaching all kinds of doctrines. And the Bible warns us as Christians that ye be not blown about by every wind of doctrine, but be rooted and grounded in the faith. And some yet, some yet, have their ears open to every wind of doctrine that comes along. And every wild, fanatical, devil-possessed person that comes along and twists some scripture out of shape, you go blowing off down the road after it. Whereas the truth is, you ought to rebuke those persons and warn them to be sound in the faith. You'll get hung up on Sabbath-keeping and law-keeping and all other kinds of things which the Word of God condemns. And you think it's spiritual. Say, I received the teaching. Receive the teaching of what? A devil? We better learn to receive the teaching of Almighty God. The Bible says, I give you true doctrine. And I tell you for what it's worth. I give you true doctrine. And I'm not going to let you, not going to let you, get hung up in legalism, Sabbath keeping, no meat eating, no marriage. That is of hell itself. But the devil is religious. He's got doctrines. You want doctrines? He's got them for you. But if you want the doctrine, here it is. It'll keep you safe. It'll make you wise. It'll make God live to you. And some of you that are still so foolish not to have accepted God's third form of authority, God, the first authority we recognize, the word, the second form of authority for years, I never accepted this word. I said, oh yeah, I know it says that, but, but we know, but I know, but I think. You see, it seems to me, I feel in our day, it looks like this. Until one day God said to me, practice my word. And I said, almighty God, to the best of my understanding, I'll do it. 
I pray only that you make up the difference for my foolishness. And God for 15, 16 years has held my hand and made up the difference. This word is God speaking to us. And the third form of God's authority, he says, obey them that have the rule over you. They watch for your souls in the Lord. God has raised up men who are apostles, men who are prophets, men who are evangelists, men who are pastors, men who are teachers, those he set in authority in the church. And a good many people not understanding God's authority have thought that the church ought to be based after a democracy which is set up to rule over evil men to keep them from biting and devouring one another. But brother, this is the church of the living God. And God is the king. He's the head over all. And he's given all power into Jesus Christ who has been made the head over the church. And the Bible says Jesus has said in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, deacons. And the Bible tells us, obey them that have a rule over you. Oh, I obey Christ only. Jesus said, if they don't hear your words, it's because they don't hear my words. And if they don't hear my words, it's because they don't hear God's words. But if they hear you, they'll hear me. If they hear me, they've heard God. Oh, brother, there's a divine order in God's assembly of his people. Submit yourselves, the Bible says. Obey them. But the devil, you know what he'll tell you? You don't have to obey anybody. We're free. I'm doing my thing for Jesus. Oh, I don't have to worry about the word. I get it direct in the spirit. It just comes to me in a flash that I should go down and have a little dope today. And what's wrong with getting a little drunk today? And how about a little adultery tomorrow? And maybe I'll be a little pimp today. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. You heard the devil talk to you. And you obeyed him. Doctrines of devils. They're all everywhere today. But I'll tell you what the Bible says. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. No doctrines of devils. He's got them, though. You want them? They're plenty. You hear a doctrine that's strange to you, you don't sit there and listen to it. You go get your elder. Say, just a minute, partner. I got somebody you want to talk to. We have an elder. Elders on the ranch. Elders at Carlotta. Elders at Whitehorn. Elders in town. And I, too, am an elder, even though I have the office of an apostle. I have somebody you want to talk to. Had all kinds of people come blowing on the ranch, blowing in these other places. Got a doctrine I'm going to feed you. Blah, 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 blah. Said, brother, you walk not charitable. Your doctrine is not in truth. You know what I'm going to do for you, Durkin? I'm going to turn your body over to the devil. You turn it right over, buddy. If you've got any power to do it, you might as well get on with it and then get out of here. We've had the ranch cursed, the church cursed, Carlotta cursed, I've been cursed, the elders have been cursed, everybody's been cursed by these that are blowing in and blowing out. But hallelujah, we're still here, and we're growing, and we're going on, and I still got the same body, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Doctrines of devils. Spit on them. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 12.3. I'm going to show you something right in the church if you let it come in there. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I'd not have you ignorant. Most people are ignorant about spiritual gifts. Some people don't even know there is any such thing as that. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. He's talking to us. Ye know that ye were Gentiles. Some Jewish people here, but he has said the same thing to them. He just happened to be talking to Gentiles. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols. And what are those dumb idols? Devils, demons, right. Even as ye were led by these demons. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, he's talking about something happened in this Corinthian church. I've seen it time and again that some of the blessed babes right in this assembly, some kook came in here, and gets up and goes on some off-the-wall prophecy, totally out of the Spirit, rotten in form, totally unscriptural, but because he knows how to make his voice go up and down, because he's being led by a devil in some cases, the babes are going, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, a prophecy. Brother, the Bible says, let a man prophesy by two or maybe by three, and let the others do what? Judge it. Now get with it. Judge it. Brother, when a prophecy is going forth, I close my eyes, and then I listen with my spiritual eyes. Somebody came into this Corinthian church and got up, and said, Say the Lord, the mighty one, the mighty God, Jesus is accursed, Jesus is accursed, that saith the Lord. And I imagine there are a lot of babes that say, Oh, hallelujah, prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. Someone said, Man, I don't know about that. I'm going to write to Paul and see what he has to say. And he said, Brother, I wouldn't have you to be so stupid. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. We were down in a place the other day, and some man got up and said, God damn this thing. If somebody spoke to him, said, why did you use God's name in vain? He said, God is my friend. What God is his friend? The God of this world is his friend. He doesn't know God. Because no one that loves God takes his name in vain. No one that loves Jesus takes his name in vain. I tell you, if there's anyone in here that does it, the Bible says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. You better repent quick. You do something like that and ask God to purge your spirit and purge your soul, purge your brain and purge your mouth. Till whenever you use the name Jesus, it's in reverence. And whenever you use the name God, it's in thanksgiving and beseeching him in prayer and loving him. You never use that name wrongfully. But I'll tell you something, the devil will get you to use it. Loosely, foolishly, profanely, and in cursing. Religious devils. 
Next time there's prophecy in this church, I certainly expect the older brothers, and I expect the young men that are growing up, and the young women that are growing up, and the older women in the Lord. Maybe the babes won't get it, but you make sure if the babes get to coming off the wall, say, oh, wonderful, wonderful. We say, that's not so wonderful. Be quiet there a minute. Then go take care of that imposter that comes in here and says, Jesus is accursed. Or comes up and says some crazy, wild deal. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord is revealing to his people that Jesus will come on the morning of Thursday this week. Oh, wonderful. Hallelujah. Jesus coming Thursday. The Bible said you know not the day nor the hour. You better know this book. Because those seducing spirits, brother, they're all around. You judge that prophecy and walk over and say, where are you coming from, buddy? See? Okay. Turn with me, please. Second Thessalonians 2, 2. Now, they go even further than this. They give new revelations to the church. Now, wonderful. Second Thessalonians 2, 2. Now, I'm going to read verse 1 and then 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, that's a heavy beseeching. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, or be troubled, neither by spirit, troubled by spirit, not the Holy Spirit, to be sure, a demon, neither by spirit, nor by word, somebody getting up and preaching a stem-winding sermon right out of hell. Jumps up and down, says, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, and just whirls around and gets his hands going. And some people get to the point where they stop listening to the word and they stop listening to the man's spirit, and they very foolishly begin to look at his motions. And they look at his eyes and they see him waving his hands and yelling, hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't know what's in between. See, it's just like this. He puts a nice piece of bread on the outside and says, hallelujah. He says, oh, look at that nice piece of bread. And then he comes down here and says, hallelujah. And there's another nice piece of bread. And then you look at one piece of bread, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And all the time he's filling it up right out of hell. And when he gets it all put together, he says, now, you foolish and some say, yeah, I'll take a bite, I'll take a bite, I'll take a bite. I'll tell you, still with the poison of hell itself. Neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. There are people who will write epistles. That's right if it's in God. That's good if it's in God. But brother, when you get an epistle, you better pick up the epistles and compare this epistle with these epistles. And if this one don't agree with these, you throw this one away. No, better yet, burn it. You don't want somebody else to read it. Whether by spirit, or by word, or by letter. Seducing spirits. Doctrines of devils. The Bible tells us about King Saul. When he gave up following the Lord, an evil spirit came upon him from the Lord, and the Bible says he did prophesy. 2 Corinthians 11.14 and Acts 16.17 would draw to a close. 2 Corinthians 11.4 For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, 
or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Now what is he talking about? Listen to it. Preaching another Jesus. I believe in Jesus too like you do. I want to hear about your Jesus. Well, my Jesus says you can do this and that and the other thing, and I got the Spirit of Christ, and we all got the Spirit of Christ, and he's all in the air, and I'm Christ, and you're Christ, and we're all Christ Jesus. I'm with Jesus, Jesus with me. That's another Jesus. If they come to you preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another Spirit, I got the Spirit like you got the Spirit. What spirit do you have? God's Spirit sent by the Lord, Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The one who came in the flesh. The one who died on the cross. The one who shed his blood. The only Savior of man. The only name under heaven given among men. Whereby you must be saved. That Jesus. Oh no, I don't believe in that Jesus. Then it's another Jesus and another Spirit. And they're not of God. Then you better rebuke him in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ. If we receive another Jesus we have not preached, or another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Acts 16, 17, while they're looking up that scripture, talking about a woman, came to pass the 16th verse as we went to prayer. Certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Same followed Paul and us, this is Luke writing, and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now the version, some of them say, which show unto us a way of salvation. What's wrong with that? Isn't Jesus a way of salvation? That's right. He is the way of salvation. See, the word with a little twist, or maybe a big twist. These be the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us a way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, he, this evil spirit, was a male spirit in the woman. He came out of her the same hour. These be the servants of the Most High God which show unto us a way of salvation. Oh, wouldn't a whole lot of people rejoice, unsophisticated, untaught, untrained in the Word of God. Wouldn't they rejoice to hear that? Oh, here's someone that was on the devil's side, and now they're coming, and they're saying that we're showing them. Oh, man, tell everybody about that. Paul had one word for her. You poor woman, I'm going to do something for you. You devil, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. You see, he recognized the little twist. Don't you ever think the devil would have said, These are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way, and Jesus is his name. Oh, no, a way. Well, there are many ways. It's a wonder there are so many ways to heaven. It's a wonder we don't get mixed up and cross the paths one of another as we make our way to heaven. Jesus said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. You don't like that? That's too heavy. Brother, you will get people offended. You better believe that the cross, the preaching of the cross in the name of Jesus is an offense to men. Jesus said, I am what? A way, 
a truth, a life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Peter said, there is salvation in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. It's Jesus or lost. No other way. No other way. Now turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Apparently I misread it, but God gave me a scripture. Don't know which one that was. I did read them. Do you know, Gregor? Want to copy that one down? The Lord gave it to me. Thank you, Jesus. That's 11.4 that I read. Put that one down too. 2 Corinthians 11.4. Hallelujah. Now 11.14. 13th verse. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Oh, you think his ministers get up and say, boo, I'm a preacher of the devil. And I'm here in your church to create some devil meant. Oh, no. They get up and they smile sweetly and practice it. Some women do this, some men do that. It scares me when I see a person really put on that sugary Something wonderful when there's a radiance from within. How you delight in that. But when a person composes their face, and you can almost watch them, they're seeing you coming, so they compose. Then they get one eyebrow higher than the other. <laughs> they, something not right. And they practice. And they get a sweet look. And an open look. And they get up to tell you about truth and love and beauty. And harmony. And then they'll sing a song. Everything is beautiful in its own way. The devils, the stones, the pigs, the rocks, they're all beautiful. And you say, oh, hallelujah. Everything is not beautiful. Only that which has been touched by Jesus is beautiful. All the rest is demarred and scarred by sin. No marvel, the Bible says, though. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, and his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Does he work in the religious realm? Yes, he causes people to prophesy, but always twisted. He gets men to write epistles, but always twisted. He gets men to preach with force and vigor, but always twisted. He gets them to sing songs, but always twisted. All of this designed to work with his seducing spirits and his doctrines of devils, which are designed to catch the unwary. And the Bible says some shall depart from the faith because they give heed to these seducing spirits. I tell you, I give you good counsel. Love God. Love Jesus. Submit yourself to him and his spirit, the spirit of truth. Love truth, the Bible says. This is truth. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
Obey your elders. Esteem them highly. Love them. Pray for them. Someone comes to you with any doctrine which you have not heard and which you have not learned, go to your elders. And when someone comes on our land or in our church and starting to spout something contrary to that which you've heard, say, Mr. Minute, sir, I want to take you to my elders. You say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord and I'm just going to be around here. You go get your elder and get him over there. Because I'm going to tell you no true man of God would desire to stay by himself when he had a chance to meet the elder whom God had raised up or the elders whom God had raised up. He'll say, take me to your elders. I want to meet them. I want to know them. I want fellowship with them. I'll tell you, if they don't want to meet the elders, they don't want to meet the older brothers, then you know one thing. There's something twisted in their soul and they know what will happen when they meet the elders. They'll get one admonition, brother, leave off this preaching. Well, okay, sure. Something happened again, they come back, say, Sir, we told you to leave off that preaching. We're giving you the second admonition. Leave it off. Huh, I don't feel the love. The Bible says this. <laughs> After the first or second admonition, reject them knowing they are perverted in their souls and have no fellowship with them. They come from hell. Rather, rebuke them. Next week and the weeks that follow, I'll deal with the rest of Satan's darkness, dominion, and then show you how to exercise authority, the authority of God's dominion of light, to break the power of darkness over the lives of people.